Hello and welcome to Overdrive, a program about trains, planes and automobiles, but mainly automobiles. I'm David Brown, and in this program we have some news stories, including ANCAP talks of environmental targets should not come at a cost of safety, a new hybrid Haval, Genesis goes all-electric with a G80 luxury sedan, and Volkswagen hails progress on electric vehicles. We have two feature stories. We hear from an expert from Michelin about tyre development, particularly in the light of specific needs of electric vehicles. And we have an interview with Jeff Willem from the VACC about what election processes should promise in regard to the long-term needs of the motor vehicle industry in this country. And you can find more information at drivenmedia.com.au. This program was first broadcast on the 27th of August 2022, and we start with the news. Australasia's ANCAP crash testing program has stressed the importance of ensuring the future of the Australian vehicle fleet is both safe and green. Environmental targets, they say, should not come at the cost of safety. This is not to say that electrified vehicles are inherently unsafe. ANCAP says that they have seen high levels of safety performance continue to flow through their ratings when evaluating the mix of electric, plug-in hybrid, hybrid and hydrogen-powered vehicles. Their concern is with future models if safety is compromised in an effort to reduce the price of vehicles. ANCAP Chief Executive Officer Carla Horweg said, We're on the cusp of seeing a number of lower-cost EVs arrive in our market. Adopting a sensible approach reinforces to the industry, existing and new entrants, that high levels of safety are expected with any and all new alternative-powered models that are on their radar for potential release into our market. Unquote. ANCAP is prioritising the testing and rating of these electrified vehicles as part of their routine star rating program. They have also released a quick reference consumer guide listing the range of alternative powered models rated by ANCAP together with a summary of their safety performance. ANCAP claims that their encouragement of new safety technologies has resulted in economic benefits in excess of $440 million over the period 2019 to 2021 through fewer crashes, causing fatality, serious injuries and vehicle damage. In regard to electric vehicles, additional aspects are evaluated in ANCAP assessments to confirm battery and hybrid electric vehicles don't pose unique risks such as battery rupture or electrical hazards to the occupants or first responders following a crash. Great Wall Motors are now focusing their fleet on just three models, their Haval H6 medium-sized SUV, their Great Wall Ute, and their small SUV, the Haval Jolion H2, which is their best-selling vehicle this year, but not that much ahead of the other two. They have now launched a hybrid version of the Jolion onto the Australian market. Great Wall is selling the hybrid as one of their higher specification models and have called it the Ultra HEV. For some reason, Haval have one level above the Ultra in their non-hybrid models. The hybrid is priced at $41,000, but that's a drive-away figure. 
This is $8,000 more than their non-hybrid ultra version, and you can certainly get cheaper small non-hybrid SUVs from MG, Mitsubishi, Hyundai, and even Mazda, but the level of equipment in the Haval Hybrid is quite substantial. It has adaptive cruise control, a 12.3-inch colour multimedia screen, heads-up display, dual-zone automatic climate control, heated front seats, a 360-degree camera, and a sunroof. It also has fully automatic parking for a parallel, perpendicular or angular parking spot and traffic sign recognition, which recognises signs such as speed limit, arrow-related, warning and stop signs. Genesis, Hyundai's luxury brand, has bought an all-electric version of their large luxury sedan, the G80, into the Australian market. While Genesis sales are up 61% this year, their absolute numbers are still small, which is surprising as they have an incredibly strong product offering in terms of quality and features for prices that are well below the opposition. The electric G80 is only offered in one variant. It has a twin-motor all-wheel drive powertrain, delivers 272 kilowatts and a whopping 700 newton-metres of torque. Its range is rated at 520 kilometres. It has ultra-rapid charging and can reach 80% charge in as low as 22 minutes when plugged into the 350 kilowatt DC fast charger. It is priced from $145,000 plus honorary costs. Genesis' position in the luxury car market is a case of what you see is what you get without having to consider a long list of expensive extras and minimal ongoing costs for 5 to 10 years. The only option for the G80 EV is a matte colour paint, exclusive to this vehicle, at an extra $2,000. And they minimise the cost of ownership for the next 5 to 10 years. The vehicle has a 5-year unlimited kilometre warranty, that's okay, an 8-year warranty on high-voltage battery, which is about right, but they also offer, with no cost, five years servicing, five year Genesis to you and valet service, 10 years roadside assistance, 10 years map updates, and a choice of a five year ChargeFox subscription for free charging. Or they will provide a home AC charger and installation for no extra cost. The Volkswagen Group in Australia has welcomed a proposal by Federal Climate Change and Energy Minister Chris Bowen to impose carbon emission rules on new car sales. Volkswagen has been a long-term critic of the poor standard of petrol in this country. Their vehicles typically require 95 RON or higher, not the 91 RON fuel, which is generally considered a dirty fuel with high sulphur content. At the recent National Electric Vehicle Summit in Canberra, Mr Bowen said that the government will release a discussion paper to develop a national electric vehicle strategy. Crucially, the paper will include fuel efficiency standards. While car manufacturers, in the short term at least, may continue to sell some internal combustion engine vehicles, pollution standards may apply to individual vehicles and to the average of their whole fleet. But Volkswagen are also pushing for electrification of the fleet. Their Australian Managing Director, Paul Sansom, said standards that lack ambition will leave us at the back of the queue for longer and leave Australia in danger of being even more 
of third world dumping. The Volkswagen Group consists of Volkswagen, Audi, Skoda and the Cupra all-electric range which they have now just released in this country. And that has been the news. You're listening to Overdrive. David Lang is in segment management for Michelin for East Asia and Oceania, particularly for their larger passenger car tyres, which involves tyres for performance vehicles, but also for electric vehicles. He is stationed in Thailand, where I caught up with him on the line and asked him what are the major factors that need to be considered when making tyres for electric vehicles. For EVs in general, EVs are much heavier than their ICE counterparts and vehicle weight is, is a critical factor in the wear rate of the tyre uh, because more weight means uh, means faster wear. So in addition to, to more weight, the EVs obviously have more torque available for rapid acceleration combined with regenerative braking uh, to recharge the batteries on deceleration as well. So the combination of more weight, addition of regenerative regenerative braking and quick torque availability results in more rapid wear. Uh, and it means that EVs uh, generally will wear out its tyre approximately 20% faster to, than a comparable ICE vehicle. <clears throat> and I think the important thing for Michelin and, and the good thing about Michelin is that basically all the tyres are EV ready, we could say, so long as the load rating uh, on the tyre placard is, is respected because the EVs are so much heavier. Um, but having said that, whilst the Michelin range is EV ready, we do have tyre lines that are specifically, I would say, more EV ready, and one of them is, is Pilot Sport EV. Um, I could probably summarise in four points how EVs are different to, to ICEs, all the challenges are different. So the first is the weight, which I mentioned before, so they're heavier due to the batteries. So then we need to either have supply tyres in the bigger diameter for, for the EVs or offer the same dimension with a higher load rating or higher load capacity. Um, noise is another one uh, because because there's no engine sound. It amplifies the sensitivity to road noise uh, from the user, from the driver, from passengers. Um, so the EV tyre line that we have, the Pilot Sport EV, uh, does have a, a vibration-resistant polyurethane foam inside the tyre, which basically dampens the, the noise. Um, so you've got weight, noise, the third one, range. Uh, and, I, and I think in Australia there's a, there, there is range anxiety still with, with EVs. So to maximise battery life, the vehicle needs to have low rolling resistance tyres. Um, thankfully, it's an area where Michelin is already renowned. Uh, as, a, as a pioneer and expert, so the tyres need to have that. And, and lastly, which I touched on before, the torque that's available. So it's higher and more sustained levels of torque, which means there's now more demands on durability and tyre wear. Um, and again, thankfully, it's an area where Michelin have been uh, a historical leader in that area. So I would say that with these new demands, Michelin is ready, uh, already, but we do have tyre line specific for, for EVs. Um, so we're, we're well placed to, to face the demands of the vehicle market and the EV uh, revolution, we could say. So not just where it's the strength of the tyre to be able to, to cope with those extra demands. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So it's the, the load rating is one to carry the full load, um, but also the strength of the tyre. And, and typically the EV tyre lines uh, ha have better stiffness in the sidewall to, to deal with that as well. 
There's a question of the amount of good handling too. There are greater pressures on a weight, a low down weight, and the sideward forces and that. It's it's trying to get a car, and you have a, a glorious looking race car in the back uh, of your uh, your picture. It, it, getting that to it, that's part of it, isn't it? It's not just to sustain the tire, but to try and get that level of performance in handling. Is that one of the difficulties? Precisely. I mean, the performance of vehicles has, over time has changed a lot, um, but then the tire technologies moved with it. Um, so, thankfully, uh, I mean, from a, with my Michelin hat on, we're well placed for the improvements in the performance of vehicles. Given that, there's probably two factors to that: significant R and D uh, investment. In 2020, that budget is around 646 million euros. So it's a huge investment. Uh, 6,000 employees uh, in uh, in R&D and most of them in a place called Ladoux in France. And actually, Michelin have 10,700 open active patents uh, today. So we're very much a research and development company, um, but also Michelin and Motorsport. So Motorsport is a real-life lab for, for Michelin, and that's where we learn a lot about tyres and tyre behaviour and new demands of, t- uh, of vehicles to then trickle that technology down into, into everyday road cars. You talked about eco and low-resistance tyres. Does that diminish their performance in terms of handling? What's the balance there? No, I, I wouldn't say that because uh, Michelin um, has been well-placed for rolling resistance. Of course, when you make a tyre, it's somehow you could say it's about compromise, but Michelin's always been focused, I would say, on the total performance. So taking that into consideration, but still having the tyre be able to perform with rolling resistance, but not compromising on anything else to do with the tyre. So it's wear, it's, uh, it's safety features and things like that, or it's handling performance. There has been talk of, of pollution from, for example, brake pads and dust that comes from it. Now, there's talk of pollution from tyres as well, concern out of America about getting into the waterways and their effect, I think, particularly on salmon numbers. Is that an issue that a tyre company such as yours is actively involved in? From Michelin's point of view, I mean, the, the adverse effect of tyre wear road, tire road wear particles uh, hasn't been identified in air or water, uh, so far as we're concerned. So Michelin has always been and, and continues to be committed to progressively reducing the quantity of raw materials put into the tyres while still improving the performance, including the abrasion rate, uh, which you mentioned. So as a result, Michelin has already reduced the emission of tyre and road wear particles by 5% during the last five years. And then beyond this, Michelin is committed to further uh, reducing this emission by further 8 to 10% in 2030. So your research is in measuring how much comes off it and trying to do something about it. Yeah, precisely, precisely. In many ways, noise is becoming one of the big pollution features as well. Can you build a really good tyre and reduce some of its noise as well? Or is that something that you, the balance you would look at? Yeah, for sure. I mean, we definitely can. Like within our sports range, uh, I think uh, Michelin is considered, even though it's a sports tire, like I'm thinking about the Pilot Sport 5 and the Pilot Sport 4S, which sits in our sport range. And whilst they're sport orientated tires, they're still very, very quiet uh, with road noise. The thing that EV has that is unique, obviously, there's no engine noise to drown out any other, any other noise that you're, you're feeling. So tire noise becomes quite important. Uh, and where the EV range for Michelin does have that uh, the the foam insert, we could say to to reduce that noise and the vibrations. So the the experience in the cabin is is a lot more pleasant. 
because they find in buses that are now electric vehicles, people become aware of the noise from the bearings and the and the drive shaft. And, and of course, the things like garbage trucks become much more aware of that loading. Now, do you think that was something that will evolve, that you, that tyre companies will try and push even further because electric vehicles has made us more aware of it within the cabin? Yeah, for sure. And I think, uh, I mean, Michelin as a company has been always fairly focused on noise reduction. I mean, we have tyre lines that are focused on noise and comfort, like the Primacy range, for example. Um, so Michelin already, I guess, would, we could say, be equipped for, for that sort of thing. And some of the noise, I mean, it sits within tread pattern as well. Tread pattern design is quite important to reduce the amounts of, uh, because when you, when you look at a tyre, actually, there's different spacing between the tread blocks. Um, so you're creating a different noise at different times. Uh, we could say there are these micro noises, but the thing is not to have that uniform uh, I guess, tread pattern, because that's what makes or amplifies noise. Like a, we could liken it to a mountain bike tire, for example. A mountain bike, you can hear it coming down the road uh, fairly easily because all the tread blocks are uniform. So if you're able to move the tread blocks, you, you create noises at different frequencies at different times. So you actually reduce the, the noise. So that's an on-road noise, I would say. But then the noise also comes from vibrations uh, as well and things like that. So that's where technology like having the inner liner of the tyre is important to reduce that uh, reduce that road noise. I heard one tyre company person say that the pattern on the tyre is part marketing as well as part performance. It's going to look good as well as that. Is there some element of truth in that? I would say that Michelin, uh, and Bas, correct me if I'm wrong, Michelin's always focused on performance first. Uh, and then aesthetics afterwards. I mean, uh, the tyre has to – there will be no – I would say there's no compromise uh, on the on the performance of a tyre for to favour looks. Um, and for Michelin's Pilot Sport range specifically, where we are able to play on the look, I could say, uh, the, or the aesthetic of the tyres on the sidewall. So on Michelin Pilot Sport range, across the entire range now actually – um, we have what's called premium touch. So um, it's like a velvet looking or velvet feeling or black sidewall uh, on the Michelin Pilot Sport range. So where we can play with the aesthetic, we do so, but uh, tyre performance is always favoured over any um, any aesthetic. David, that's been absolutely lovely. Uh, I really appreciate your time and your information. Thank you very much. It's all my pleasure. You're listening to Overdrive. This week I'm driving one of my favourite SUVs, the Genesis GV70 Sport Luxury in a matte Matterhorn white colour. Now normally I'm not overly specific about colours, but the matte white just suits the GV70's elegant style. Inside the GV70 is all class and comfort occupants want for very little. Its layout and driver ergonomics are excellent, and for larger drivers like myself there's plenty of room, but not a lot behind for passengers. Little luxuries like heated and ventilated seats, driver side bolster adjustment and graphic parking display all add to the appeal. Powered by a turbocharged 3.5 litre V6 petrol engine, produces 279 kilowatts and 530 Nm from as low as 1300 revs. This goes to all four wheels through a drive mode selectable 8 speed automatic transmission. It's quick rather than outright fast at 0 to 105.1 seconds and a top speed of 250 kilometres an hour. However, select one of the sports drive modes and the GV70 transforms to provide a thoroughly engaging, dynamic driving experience. This is the Motoring Minute. I'm Rob Fraser. This is Overdrive across Australia.
There's a Victorian state election coming up and the CEO of the Victorian Automotive Chamber of Commerce, the VACC, Jeff Willem, sees a desperate need for election processes to look for long-term consistent solutions. We had a chat the other day and I began by talking about an anecdote I had from the freight transport industry. Because aspirational is also accepting that an evolving world, a colleague of mine worked with the trucking industry and he used to go around the trucking show and uh, say to some truck drivers, will you be in business in five years' time? And their answer was typically, yeah, um, whereas <laughs> it, you know, it might, might not be quite that simple. <laughs> I think if you ask the same question in automotive, will you be in business in five years' time, I think the answer would be, I think so. <laughs> yeah. Because the, there's so much transitional change, David. That's why I, I, I say that. Well, that whole thing of transitional change, yes, is really... Just the concept is really very, very important, I think. Um, you know, I, that, think uh, I think in automotive as well, though, David, that we're in for some... Um, some massive structural and technological change. And to be honest, there's a whole lot of people around the age of 60, in my view, that will be saying, do you know what, I did LPG, I did uh, electric fuel injection, electronic fuel injection, you know, I've done these big changes, but this one, you know, this is the electrification of the fleet, I think for some people it just seems too big. A step, too big a step. Yeah, yep. Do you think that that's important then to talk about it not as um, an all or nothing, you know, everything will change tomorrow, uh, that it's, you know, I mean, uh, England has a, a dearth of um, experts on SU carburetors. I think we might have talked about this in the past. Yeah, you know, that there's, there's still right. some elements about it that we need to keep going. Do you think that yeah. there might then really, the industry, there might well be uh, places that just won't deal with electric vehicles but will still have a strong future in maintaining the internal combustion engines? I, I, I definitely think there will be. And I think if you look at, in Australia, let's use the example here, that uh, engine reconditioning uh vehicle trimming that were really they used to be big trades and now they're smaller trades but those that stayed the journey do really well when there's less left so if you're an automotive trimmer now and somebody says look i want you to do the front seats of my car or fill out my custom vehicle the answer is yeah that's fine i'll put you on the list and and when we get there i'll we'll have a chat so if you can survive this is a really important point david if you can hang on if you like and survive the, the, the major wave of change, you know, you can make a decision. I think there are three decisions. I'm bailing out. Um, I'm going to move over into a, into a different technology or I'm going to be a survivor in the old technology because, of course, we've got 20 million vehicles. I think there's 13 million mm. cars. You know, we've got a massive vehicle fleet that, irrespective of what governments say, that will be at least uh, a 20-year car fleet that will transition out over time. But Australia's also got a very big uh, custom and collectible fleet. And these things have got carburetors and they've got uh, old gearboxes and they've got their simpler vehicles, but you actually need good old traditional mechanics to fix them. Fix them. Yeah. Well, 
I went to the uh, Goodwood Festival one time, Revival, um, yeah. And there was a guy yeah. with a little Morris Minor van and painted down on the side, yeah. Mister, or it might have even he might have even called himself Doctor Su Carburetor or something. It was. <laughs> oh yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. And they, they, you know, they will. There will be people, uh, you know, people that do instrument recalibration for old cars. If you've got a Hilma Minx and the speedometer's not working, guess what? You need somebody. You're not going to put a digital one in if you want to keep the heritage of your car. Mm. You're going to look for somebody that can re- replace or repair that, or they're going to repair that old um, speedometer. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, it's interesting. Can we talk about uh, the Victorian mm. state election? Um, yeah. Uh, but fundamentally, elections have typically. I'll do that again, sorry. Elections have typically been cases of governments flag-waving one or two big projects, which, of course, they would then yeah. have a ribbon-cutting event, both to turn the first yeah. sod and, and get through it and then, of course, to open it if they're still in power. If they're not in power, they claim responsibility for it anyway. Is, it, is there a need to look at systemic issues and you have highlighted some that you think are important for the victorian election look we have david and um there's a a, a point you made there is very very important and i think there's been a call for years to have a whole lot of policies that are actually dug into agency policies so that your roads policy and your environmental policy and your transport policies for example that they remain consistent irrespective of the government that comes in and out. And, of course, we don't really have that in the way that we'd like to. And one of the things that organisations like the VACC, uh, fear is the wrong word, but we get very concerned with is is you know a, a constant shifting with governments coming in and going out and the policy platform changes, which means we have to spend a huge amount of energy uh, re-educating a new government, uh, trying to highlight you know, where we think uh, industry policies would meet. Of course, you've got to meet the community and the government's policy objectives as well, otherwise nobody's going to even talk to you about your own policies. So it, it is it is important, David, that, you know, organisations like the VACC, and this is what we were doing yesterday, we were launching our policy manifesto called Fully Charged. We were launching that uh, 100 days before the state election in Victoria, and the whole intention there is is to signal to government these are the things that the automotive industry would be looking for a new government, whether it's the existing government that come back in or a new government or even a coalition government. These are the things that we think are important. And please, you know, that the, the small print is please put these things on your list to do because we've done a lot of work engaging with industry to determine that they're important. And we're, we're telling you this up front so you can't say you didn't know, and, and there's enough time to talk to us about it and ask us what the metrics are that sit behind some of these uh, policy uh, objectives that we have. Metrics means that we're actually measuring the right things, not just measuring popularity. <laughs> well, there, well, there's two things. One, you're measuring the right things, but your argument's based on fact. It's actually based on something that's happening in industry. And uh, we had a great gathering at Parliament House yesterday upstairs in one of the rooms. Um, One of the things that we made very clear, David, is that 
and this should apply to all associations, by the way, but I'm only talking about the VACC here, is that if, if you, you're not in industry, on the shop floor, talking to people that fix things and make things and sell things, and putting that into your policy, then you're just potentially grabbing out of thin air. Uh, we can put our hand on our heart and say, well, this has been, you know, we've got 5,000 members between Victoria and Tasmania. We've got committees and we're in dialogue with members. And, and if a minister said to me yesterday, well, Jeff, can you prove, um, you know, you made a point there, Jeff, about zero and low emission vehicles and the way the technology needs to change and what's going to happen in industry. Can you prove it? My answer is, yeah, jump in the car. I'll take you to 10 workshops today that have a similar view. <laughs> uh, do you think perhaps asking politicians, can you prove your comments might well be a valuable reverse of that flow or that, that questioning <laughs> process? Uh, we, we wouldn't be so bold. Uh, I mean, uh, as we know, um, it, politicians have to do things for a range of reasons. One is to get re-elected. Um, and, and just on that, and I think it's important, David, that um, the, the, the debate federally and at a state level around zero and low emission vehicles and the targets that are being set, you know, we've got the federal government that have said uh, eight out of nine people will buy an electric car by 2030. The Victorian state government have got a target. 50% of all cars sold by 2030 will be zero or low emission. Um, our, our position on that is if you look at the data, if you look at global manufacturing, if you look at supply chain issues, those cars won't be there in the volumes that governments are proposing. Now, we're not here to have a go at government and, and stick the boots into them. What we are here to say is, would you mind having a chat with industry and having a chat with the people that actually do this thing every day? Because what we'd like to tell you is that the objectives that you've got around the, the size of the electric vehicle fleet probably isn't going to happen. Yes, and that they uh, the difference really between an output and an outcome. It would be more engaging with the population if we had key measures such as pollution levels and, and a point I've argued many, many times, a number of kids that have asthma. We're moving in that direction that you know, uh, European states have justified, not just in terms yeah. of a broad concept of global warming, but also a local concept of health issues. I think, David, that for a long time, global warming was somebody else's problem. Mm. Um, and, you know, it was, it, it was in another place. But I think if you look around the world, if you look at the EU and the UK right now, uh, there are more fires, there are more floods, wherever you look around the world. And I think that uh, we have to collectively take some responsibility for that. And, and, you know, to that point, our position to government is, is rather than talking about how many people are going to be driving a particular type of vehicle, why don't we talk about the reduction in CO2 emissions across the vehicle fleet so that we start to think about, you know, hybrids are in there and fully electric are in there. Synthetic fuel, internal combustion engines might be in there because guess what? They're low or zero emissions. So we need a much broader conversation and the Federal Chamber of Automotive Industries, FCAI, have released some great data on this just recently um, that actually looked at the manufacturing of vehicles globally. You know, and if we, you know, about 80% of all the cars we buy in Australia come out of Asia, uh, Japan, Korea, China. Um, they're not building uh, right-hand drive electric vehicles in those countries and where we get 
the stock of our cars from. And, uh, you know, they're the sorts of things we're arguing. I, let's have a look at CO2 emissions across the whole vehicle fleet. Really good idea. Let's look at what is actually happening in global manufacturing of vehicles. And to your point, David, I don't think, you know, there's, uh, I don't come across uh, uh, CO2 deniers in the automotive industry very regularly. I think there's a real acceptance that we've got to do more. Um, but we've got to do it in a realistic environment and with proper data. Hmm. Is there room then to not only talk about an across-the-board number but targeting areas that have particular problems. I think of old trucks doing short runs on diesel engines in urban areas that uh, they may well represent uh, both locally and and globally uh, an issue as much as, if not more than, say, trucks going down to Hume Highway or modern trucks going down to Hume Highway. I, I agree, and, and uh, interestingly, there has been quite a bit of work done um, around cities in particular with uh, short-trip electric vehicles uh, for a couple of reasons. One is for, to, to get the pollution down in congested areas. The other, the other one is noise. Uh, as we poured in uh, hundreds of thousands of people into metropolitan centres, the first thing they're going to complain about is the garbage uh, truck coming at 3 o'clock in the morning, then the cold store deliveries coming at about half past five. Uh, and uh, I have to say, uh, uh, and I think governments have worked quite well here, and we've got you know some manufacturing going on in Victoria uh, for um, electric vehicles, uh, you know, like what we would call like commercial electric vehicles, particularly in metropolitan areas. We also, uh, David, we know that there's a big conversation about hydrogen for trucks, particularly up the East Coast. They've got a, a hydrogen centre going in in uh, WA, uh, which is great. And I think for long-haul vehicles, uh, hydrogen trucks and sw- switch-over batteries are certainly the way to go. And uh, ironically, I think that we'll make more progress with hydrogen trucks up the East Coast of Australia in terms of infrastructure than we will with having enough charging machines for a vehicle fleet. Well, that can be a case of targeting those trucks that do a regular trip and can be managed in that way. But perhaps even within urban areas, there may be those sort of vans and trucks, whether it be battery electric or even hydrogen, that are doing what is a well-known pattern of activity that can be managed. And in that regard, fleets may well be the ones that lead the way with your point about knowing what they're actually used for and how they're used and therefore how you can efficiently adapt. In in some ways, David, uh, the, the truck fleets in particular, and if, if you leave Melbourne at about half past six at night and go around the Hume up the Hume, towards the Hume Highway, there's an army of trucks going up the right-hand side of of Australia. They do it every day. We know there's thousands of trucks up and down the Hume. Um, I think they are predictable, and I think that if you're some of our bigger truck companies, I can tell you right now, they look at pennies and and cents on tyre usage and oil usage and fuel usage. There is a lot of conversation going on in those groups around how they can run trucks up, up, not just up the East Coast, but 
long haulage trucks around Australia to get better efficiencies. And there's no doubt about it, if hydrogen, if you can get a hydrogen truck, and you can, of course, to do over a 1,000 kilometres on one tank of hydrogen, uh, and it's the cost saving to a haulage company, they're going to do it, there's no, no doubt whatsoever. And it looks like the government, David, have recognised that, and there is a lot of collaboration in terms of putting that infrastructure in. Jeff, there's some lovely points there. I appreciate your time. Thank you very much. Anytime, David. Anytime. And this has been Overdrive. My thanks to Jeff Gwillem, David Lang and Paul Just for the help with this program. Overdrive is syndicated across Australia on the Community Radio Network. For more information, go to drivenmedia.com.au. I'm David Brown. Thanks for listening. <music>